Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. This episode is a follow-up to our last show, where we talked about the crisis of masculinity. We're tackling a related topic this time, the growing epidemic of friendlessness. We'll talk about why it's getting harder to build lifelong friendships and the pitfalls associated with would-be substitutes. We'll also ask what role the church as a community of friends can play and what some of the challenges are for the church playing this role as well. In our last episode, Cameron, we talked about the crisis of masculinity. I just wanted to ask, since that time, how have you felt in terms of masculinity? Have you felt manlier since that conversation or less manly? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, Now that I think about it, maybe a little less manly. That makes sense. I I find every time I talk about manliness, I feel a little bit less manly than I did before. But there's a a link that I shared with you after we had that first talk that I think it'd be interesting to go to and maybe have like a round two, add another data point to our conversation about that. And the link is to an essay by David French that is called Lost Friendships Break Hearts and Nations. This is one of his Sunday newsletters. Uh, This one's from July 11th. And he takes two data points and thinks about what they mean for this conversation about masculinity. Uh, One of those data points was a survey from the Survey Center on American Life. And these results were actually shared by Tim Keller on Twitter. So he shares a chart called Friendship Decline More Pronounced among men. And so there's a chart here where they polled men and women. They're looking at their rates of uh, deep friendship. And Keller comments, do you think we have a problem? Americans have much fewer friends than they used to. 15% of men and 10% of women have no close friends. What do you think about that, Cameron? Well, it's, it's devastating, really. I mean, I wasn't expecting no close friends there at the end. I thought maybe it was going to be 10% of women, 15% of men have fewer friends than they used to, but, but no friends at all. Um, so just, just a sad data point, but I sure something that I see. Yeah, no, I, I think I see that as well. You know, it seems like all of us have fewer of the kinds of relationships that we think of as like that idealized friendship, Mm -hmm. you know, and they tend to be with people from, way back in your past, right. you know, when you think about the the people that you would kill or die for, the people that you would go to the ends of the earth for and that sort of thing, or mm-hmm. often people have been in your life for a long time or family members, uh, but we live such uh, transitory lives now, you know, we're all moving around for work and that sort of thing, oftentimes really far away from those people. And it's not unusual to find yourself with fewer close real life friends Mm -hmm. and with this corresponding rise of people who feel utterly friendless. Definitely. That's, that's one kind of sobering data point that, uh, that French talks about, but he has another one, which is an essay by Damon Linker in the week. 
And this one's called The Politics of Loneliness is Totalitarian. The point here being that this epidemic of friendlessness is in part fueling the increased partisanship that we see in our society, where it seems as if people are kind of more sucked into politics than ever before, but also tend towards the extremes, whether it's on the left or on the right. A lot of things that were once, you know, pretty fringe are now considered more mainstream. And he associates that, at least in part, with a search for friendship if we can't find it in everyday life, then we go online and try to find it. And when Mm -hmm. we find it there, we tend to find it through like affinity groups, people who share interests of ours. And then we find ourselves in the, the, the echo chambers that we're hearing so much about all the time. And these do tend to reinforce our commitment to the extremes, but they also, at least in, in French's telling seem to make it harder to maintain or even build new real life relationships because those real life relationships presuppose a connection to people who aren't like you in every way, who don't agree with you on every point. Mm -hmm. And so those of us who've created a sense of relationship and like a network of friends online, they tend to be people much more like us than like a real world group of friends would be. Yeah. I will use my wife as an example here, Jenny. I know she doesn't always listen to these episodes, so I might be saying You better hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So she uh she's in various Facebook groups and and I've discovered that these groups can get pretty particular in what they're what they focus on and what everyone is supposed to be chatting about. And a lot of times these groups even have rules membership rules and guidelines for how you are to to exchange and dialogue and she has been reprimanded before by like kind of the leaders within these groups so yeah they're they're just kind of very extreme and and i hear her talk about them and think that's not what a normal relationship should be like or a normal group of friends even yeah yeah i like in in french's piece he starts off by describing a friend who he uh like shared a room with while he was deployed Mm -hmm. and how here's a guy who's uh, at the other end of the political spectrum from him he's not a believer unlike french and there's a lot of things they don't have in common but at the same time because of the the shared bond that they have uh it's a real friendship and it it forces forces maybe isn't the right word like it it motivates both of them to take into account people like their friends when they operate in the world so for example if i have a good friend who i know is you know more liberal than i am or i have a good friend who's more conservative than i am i'm less likely to throw all those people under the bus and not make allowances for the fact that i have a friend who's like this and he's not crazy and he's not an extremist. Mm-hmm. You know, I have people in my life who have these various viewpoints. And so I will tend to be more uh, nuanced in the way that I think about things. Whereas the fewer of those people I have in my life, the more extreme a position I'm able to take. And, and maybe more importantly, the more of a caricature I can make 
of the other side mm-hmm. because I don't know any of them personally. I don't have any reason to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so I, I, I feel that a lot in the discourse today where a lot of people who, who talk about the other side do so in ways that seem to suggest like you don't actually know any of those people. You know, you, you find their lives impossible to imagine. You can't conceive of how they could do what they do. And if only you had maintained friendships from a diverse group of people, you would understand how people can make different choices than you and see the right. world differently than you do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting point because online you you can be exposed to different viewpoints too but what french is was pointing out is that our tendency is not to see the diversity of views but to only criticize them so they're there but they're not kind of a their friend they're just an other i'm wondering though if we can talk a little bit about why we've seen this decline in friendship because i think he's also saying that technology the way that the world has, has evolved is part of the cause. It's not just a, a fallback mechanism, though it is that, but that it's also kind of torn us away from our, our former friendships. Are there other things that you've seen or ideas that you have about why friendship has declined? It's a good question. I, one of the things that French puts his finger on, especially where male friendship is concerned, mm-hmm. is what he calls like a, a decline of male-only spaces. And, you know, he acknowledges this is kind of a, a, a mixed bag. Like he's not saying uh, it's wholly terrible that there has been a change on this front. Mm-hmm. But it is unfortunate that the, the places men would have had the opportunity to form these relationships are not really conducive to that. So I think those are societal changes that are not necessarily technological that predate at least kind of, you know, the internet and social media and that sort yeah. of thing. But, but um, I think that social media exacerbates it, but at least in my mind, I think, the social media option is a way of pursuing a solution. Like the way that I see the technology working into it is I recognize that modern life is different. Like we don't live in our communities that we grew up in necessarily. And it's harder now to make, you know, connections with people like us, like men who can understand, you know, what we've gone through and how we grew up and things like that. And so looking to fill that void, we turn to the promise of, you know, the online world. Mm -hmm. Um, Internet dating is a huge thing for people looking for, you know, a spouse. And I think in a weird way, although it's not like you're going to a friendship service online, in a way, pursuing your interests online, it, it does serve that purpose. You know, and it's not unusual to hear people argue, you know, the friends that I've made online are in fact real friends. You know, mm-hmm. these are real relationships. And and I think that's true. It's not that they're they're false relationships, it's that they are relationships to a network that is so like-minded and also so um 
like narrow in scope that it doesn't serve the same purpose of real world relationships. You know, it doesn't help you in the same way as real world relationships. I mean, you, you might love watches and you might spend, you know, every waking moment that you can get away with on watch forums, researching watches and talking to guys about watches and making friends with other people all over the world who love watches. But that's actually a narrow band of interest to build relationships on. And it, it won't anchor you in community the way that that real relationships will. Mm-hmm. So I think regardless of, of the causes, it seems like the online solutions are, are making things worse, not better, and that there needs to be some kind of real-world solution. And that's where, at least in French's telling, the, the possibility of the church having an answer comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he gives the example of his, his friend you mentioned at the beginning, Leo, who was not a believer, but still went to church with him for many years. And I thought that was interesting. And French explains it by simply saying, friends do stuff together. And the greater the personal challenge, the more the word, quote unquote, together matters. So there's something formative about simply doing things together, which just sounds like such a simple thing to say, but I, th- I think it's profound. And that second point that when the thing you do together with your friends is a kind of challenge that that deepens the relationships as well. And when I look back at all of my best friendships over the years, I think that's certainly been the case. We just spent a lot of time together. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's hard to, it's hard to accomplish that uh, artificially. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, one point he makes is kind of the the challenge that he says any anyone who's been involved in men's ministry in the church can relate to how difficult it is to artificially generate the kinds of shared experiences that used to happen so naturally. Mm-hmm. That uh, a lot of men's ministry, if you think about how it works, you can think of examples of of groups of men at church doing. You know, uh, I've known some that have rebuilt engines. Uh, forged knives, carved pipes, all sorts of, you know, hands-on kind of activities. But of course, those activities are a means to an end. The end is community. Mm-hmm. And the the challenge is making it feel natural because I think men especially are pretty uh, hostile to efforts aimed at, at, you know, building friendship. Right. You know, I mean... Uh, I can think of a number of wives who've openly said, you know, I, I am looking for people who will befriend my husband. Like he needs <laughs> friends. And you try to explain, you know, that's noble, but it's also not how this works. You know, you, it, it's, it's hard because the people you're saying this to are also men and, mm. and they too don't believe that friendship is, is formed this way. And so it's a challenge, but I think, you're right. Like spending time together, like doing hard things together forms a bond. And I, I guess I would say, like if we were trying to think like how this conversation can help us think about how the church can minister in this 
let's say not crisis of masculinity, but, but crisis of friendlessness, Mm -hmm. you know, just this desire for more community that, that, that we long for. I think maybe on the personal level, we want to encourage people to, uh, strive towards these relationships in real life as opposed to settling for substitutes or alternatives. Like I know artificial relationship building is difficult, but online relationship building isn't really the same thing. It isn't as full. And so I think even the artificial efforts to build real world relationships are worth investing in Mm -hmm. instead of settling for some easier alternative that feels more natural. Uh, I I think also there's a a sense where if, if our culture makes friendship more difficult, then there is a role for the church, I think, in trying to balance that like cultural inertia, like, like there's a legitimate need for the church to foster connection amongst its members and to, you know, help the body of Christ be like a body in truth. And so I'm one of those people who's really skeptical of trying to turn church into like a social thing, Yeah, you know, that, that, um, you know, church should be a place where you can come to find a mate and find friends and find, you know, all, all of these kinds of things that aren't worship. Right. And so I resist that. But at the same time, I think it's inescapable that the church is a community right. and that communities are bonded together and, and communities are more than just atomic family units, right? They are larger families with a lot more interconnectedness and a lot more shared experience and we should strive for that, like consciously strive to, let's say, open up our lives so that there's room for friendship at the local church level. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's time that we could spend with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's an openness to having them in our lives, even though our lives are busy and very scheduled, that we're intentionally making time for one another so that we can come closer to one another Mm -hmm. yeah you you gave those examples of of maybe stereotypical men's groups who got together and it almost sounded the way you're describing it like they were just kind of doing hobby type things right together and and you know that's that's fine as far as it goes but i also wonder if part of the reason those groups don't always work or or Put differently, if men are are resistant to being kind of forced into these friendship building groups, is part of the reason that we don't have a a broader mission or we're not doing something that's bigger than the friendship itself. Right. Um, I always think of C.S. Lewis's quote, how friends or lovers face each other. They're face to face and, and friends are looking at something together, which suggests that there's something beyond the friendship that's actually creating the friendship, sustaining the friendship. And so even within the church, I think that the mission of the church is something obviously bigger than friendship. You said worship. 
I think the way that the church worships through all of its various ministries is a form of, it's, it's a kind of activity which can build friendships, but it's not, it's not like friendship is the end goal. It's just a byproduct of doing that thing together. And, and just to use my life as an example, again, I think of those friendships that have lasted so long were relationships that were focused on some other kind of mission or goal or, or thing. And I don't know if that's unique to men. It could be, or if that's, that's true for women as well. But I certainly think that there's something to an activity or a goal that's, that's bigger than just the relationship. Do you think there's something there? Well, I'll say as a man that resonates with me. All right. And I would say that when I think about the men I'm closest to and the ones that I would count my closest friends, the thing that we have in common is probably that we have built things together, that it wasn't about us. We certainly never sat around trying to build our relationship. Right. Um, and, you know, I've probably never talked about having a, a relationship in that sense, but we've, we've served together. We have sacrificed together, but we've we've done it for uh, a higher purpose. You know, in the history of the church, that's been the case. Uh, just the history of grace. You know, the the elders of our church are bonded together by the fact that we have served together for a long time, or we've gone through a lot together, and 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 enjoyed things together for the sake of Christ and His kingdom, not not to build a friendship, but that happens along the way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the, the need for a focus like that is actually something that the church can do and, and does do, that we have a kingdom-mindedness that all of our members are called to. And the more we embrace that and the more we work on it together, uh, inevitably we form bonds with one another that aren't artificial. They're not based on on like you say the pursuit of friendship they're based on the pursuit of christ and so that's the kind of community i would like grace always to be where you can find friends for a lifetime and beyond by serving side by side with them in the fields of the lord That's all the time we have for now. My thanks, as always, to my friend, Cameron. And thanks to you, our listeners. We appreciate you spending this time with us. We hope you'll join us next time. And in the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.